With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello everybody, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat. I am your host, the current reigning 10-time <laughs> record-breaking Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat. I'm Scott McLeod. Didn't take me more than 30 seconds to get that in because this is a monumentous occasion. I am here hosting this latest episode on Deathmatch Wrestling, which is quite fine because half the panel wants to kill me right now. <laughs> but before we get in and meet this lovely panel, our oh, lovely is a bit stretching it a little bit. Be sure you follow us on all of our social media, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We are there at Suplex Retreat. You can follow us on all good Android podcasting sites, Anchor, iTunes, Spotify. And also on the same sites, you can find our Suplex Retreat Extra Show, featuring some great content on Raw, SmackDown, New Japan, AEW, and the best show, Saturday Draft Live, which has followed my trajectory to the top of the ESSR draft table. And you can find all the links to that on our lovely website, suplexretreat.com. Now... With all my hot dogging grandstanding out of the way, let's meet the panel. So, currently sitting second in the SSR draft, and uh, it's a position he's used to because, in our mother's eyes, he's been second for about 20 odd years. It's <laughs> my brother, Ross McLeod. <laughs> oh, I mean, when you're unemployed, still living at home, no future, I mean, mum's favourite. The only thing you've really got to cling on to at the minute, isn't it? <laughs> that and my championship, thank you. Yes. <laughs> So next I'm sorry, what's just happened? <laughs> <laughs> you I, I meant Hawkney, honestly. I meant to the show. <laughs> I mean, Phil Hawkney's a bit strong, Jesus. <laughs> Did you hear him? <laughs> as long as he didn't go, baby, we're completely fine. Oh God, no, totally yeah, because that. that was the only thing that was missing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't tell me you wouldn't do the same thing. Next up, a man who survived being killed by ADM last year. Sally didn't finish the job. Like you can think of a list of people who would rather smash this man over the head with a set of light tubes. He's fiance right at the top of that list. With Gary Derek not far behind, it is Stephen Wilson. I was bored to death listening to your intros this Scott Jesus. <laughs> and that's coming for him. Well, this is, me, this is my way of getting back to saying I look like I got thrown through a bloody pixelglass pod on the, on the elimination chamber. You look chamber like a man that humps the bum in mini golf course holes, but that's <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Who told you? Who hit you with that paddle? Because that didn't come for you. I've done what I'm, I tell everybody else are doing. I'm recycling paddle. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, a man who has the audacity to claim that Dakota Kai is somehow better than Tegan Knox, and how I let him continue to be my co-host on East Meets West, I don't know. It's Grant McRobbie. It's all about King Kota, just because the rescues are all wrong. Oh, no, 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 no. Kota. Uh, well, uh, uh, the only one that I'm associated with is my natural born enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Not I mean, exactly who you want on your side, to be honest. I mean, you're. Well, as long as he's I'm your natural born enemy. I don't give you much thought, to be honest with you. Purely because he wants to beat his brother well from them between us in the draft. Ooh, <laughs> 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 friends! <laughs> I have never once brought a briefcase to this podcast. Uh-huh. Yet. Yes. Ironic that the briefcase wanker's been cashed in on twice. <laughs> 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 oh, please tell me Laura's waiting outside the door. <laughs> well. <laughs> I think Scott had a wee check of the women's toilets before he came in here. Just you can get done for that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you heard the bell speak more to him to get him to jail. <laughs> and the man you just heard there, our, EV, our EP, a uh, man who Jimmy Havoc once tried to use for target practice in the garage with a staple gun. I know we're talking about death matches. If this is a ring announcer who's so loud you could probably wake the dead. <laughs> it's quite tragic. <laughs> Although right now I am recovering from the cold, not COVID-19, just the cold. But you've been quarantined over in the corner just in case. <laughs> We're stuck in this podcast for 14 days now. Yeah. Masks have been distributed to everybody on the pan. Oh, I could really pick the worst day to be stranded with two weeks in. <laughs> this is literally the worst. Apart from you, Grant, though. Yes. <laughs> you think not so much. Oh, bite me. <laughs> well, if we're, if we're finished taking shots at each other, let's delve into the actual topic at hand here, and that is deathmatch wrestling. And Russell, well, so I first talk about the phrase deathmatch wrestling because we've been exposed to the term hardcore wrestling. We've got to be with like, the term extreme rules. Mm-hmm. But the term deathmatch wrestling is something completely different entirely. I think people have described it as a niche within a niche. Yeah. Um... I think the perfect example of it was Kevin on uh, How To Wrestling. He, they did an episode on Jimmy Havoc, who we'll probably talk about quite a bit on this podcast, and they said, you know, if you see an indie show or a WWE show with hardcore match advertised, it's like maybe a table spot, a wee kendo stick, a chair shot over the head, and you're like, oh, crowd go home happy. That's a, it's a house show hardcore match, you know what I mean? Death matches, you are at, at the very least expecting a table to go on fire. You know, and then if you see, you know, the likes of, we, we talked before, you know, we went to the garage and saw a death match between Mikey Whiplash and Jimmy Havoc. You know, it's not just the wrestlers that get it. You know, Quacko get threatened. Do you, do you want a staple? Like, no, no. <laughs> you know, it is. It's a niche when a niche. It's like, you know, we talked about you know WWE have got extreme rules and all that. I don't think corporate companies can really do it. It's more a an indie thing, and that's not me trying to be you know. Oh, smarky smarky is a lot of TV networks yeah yeah, TV networks and shareholders they don't really go for it and the fact that you don't see it on TV as often and it goes that level above to you know the hardcore matches you see in WWE is why it's such a niche and why it has such a big following I think yeah even when WWE was TV 14 there was still a limit on how violent they could truly get 
and Stephen, we talked about like the same things he expected for a death match wrestling. Like, it's kind of weird when you go to see a death match and the minimum expectation you're seeing, you're thinking of seeing is somebody's got to be put through glass or bloody light tubes. Yeah, there was that point during the series that Ross kind of mentioned that we saw bits of of the Mickey Whiplash Invitational, where he was pretty much, you would go there and you're like, hey, what's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? I mean, he's won. When he had that match with Aspen Faith, what was the point? What was the weapon that he used? It was kind of like a spider web. Yeah, a spider web, a table, barbed wire. Yeah, mm-hmm. just weird. But you do have that expectations, like you kind of hear they being announced for a death match, and you're like, right, cool. We're going to see a million and one grapple holds at the same time. <laughs> no, we're not seeing that. Somebody's going to get put for a flaming table. Yeah. Somebody's going to get put for something. I actually remember was at the ECW one night stand where uh, was it Bubba Ray set up the flaming table? Mm-hmm. They didn't use the flaming table. Yeah. No. Uh, it was Wyatt's oh, versus the ECW why? originals. They set you? the table on fire and it was just so awkward. It's the visual of Bray in that, but they're not in front of the table. The table's just sort of off to the side like that. <laughs> Are we going to... No, just don't look. Smile and wave. Smile and wave. Don't look at it. <laughs> they used it actually at the one night stand. The yes. first one night stand. They, they put used... Tommy Dreamer through it. Tommy Dreamer. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. I mean, I mean, there are some people who don't like the idea of Dewey being PG. Mm. I mean, what a way to rile them up, like promising them a flaming table and then you don't use it. Yeah. <laughs> just but, such a weird visual. I know. And Grant, we talked about the expectations of the match itself, but I think some people have certain expectations or like perceptions of the type of people who would volunteer to be in these type of matches. I think in some people's eyes, they think uh, some, you have to be a particular, had to have a particular pain threshold or be slightly mental to say, ah, I'll get put through a bunch of light tubes and some thumbtacks. Oh yeah, they always kind of associate it with guys that are just that little bit more unhinged than the rest. That you're going back to your old school cactus jacks, like things like that, to your modern day Jimmy Havocs and. Jimmy Lloyd and Nick Gage, MDK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's not a like thing that's happened. Like I think the most famous examples we'll talk about were kind of thing from like the nineties in Japan and coming out of the years. But it's kind of a thing that in some form it's been around for a while. Like back in the territory days, you had certain wrestlers like Abdul the Butcher, the original Sheik, uh, Bruiser Brody, who were known for being that little bit more wild. I think mm-hmm. when you think of back. The old days, the old school, like wrestling, like territories. These guys wanted to go that bit more violent. It immediately made them stand out. And for some people, they're actually fans were legit scared of these guys. Whenever they heard so Bruiser Brody's coming to the territory, people would be legit afraid when he came near them. If you say Abdullah the Butcher's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that man's head. If you examine it now, oh, oh, oh my God, something else. You know, it's just like dent. Dead, dead, yeah. dead, dead, dead. Like, whoa. I know, I mean, I thought about the mentality of certain deathmatch wrestlers. A man who willingly for years let himself be cut open with a fork. <laughs> like, that's not just a little bit different. Like he said, that is just full on mental. And, like, we talk about AEW nowadays, they do these kind of lights out matches for us, but lights out matches kind of go back to the old territories. That was the kind of thing where the idea of this match is going to be so violent where we're washing our hands of it and, like, uh, the idea of the Texas death match mm-hmm. you know, so, so it's kind of been around in one form or another it's just the fact that in like the last couple of decades it went that's when it went full and like they wrapped up even more yeah like obviously it's CZW and the tournament of death and all that and like we talk about certain expectations I think with wrestling it is live as you know it's it's happening you know you're seeing it as it's happening there's no, you know, scripts. We can't do big Hollywood stunts and all that. So we, we talked about certain expectations. I think as well with death matches, it's also important not to take it to that stupid level where it's like, <laughs> you know, it was 
I believe is the alligator death match where it's like the loser must fight an alligator and they reveal this alligator and it's like it's the size of an average sized dog <laughs> it's piss thin and it's the, the alligator looks scared it just wants away it's not its natural habitat you just see this Japanese guy like gently kicking this alligator trying to provoke it and the alligator's trying to get away you know uh. it is you know it's always been around it's always had a reputation I just think as well it's important to one live up to the hype if you're going to have a death match but also meeting it in the middle and not overhyping something like yeah. you know you'll fight a live alligator no you won't for Christ's sake <laughs> I know it gets to the point where like that, that clip from semi-pro where Will Ferrell fights a bear <laughs> <laughs> but I remember I watched that clip in preparation the whole thing with the alligator and it just reminded me like the kennel from hell match where maybe you're surrounded with these cages and these ravenous wattwilers are going to get you if you try to clear the cage and then they're just sitting there like no paying attention like mm. they're trying to get them to chase after them and one of the trainers ends up following, following over the dog <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of an example of it kind of going mm. wrong but I agree with Ross that you can't go too crazy with it because it gets to the point where you have to wrap up more and then wrap up more and then to the point where audiences start to get desensitised to it and to the point where you wonder how much farther can we go with this yeah look, yeah it, look we talked about the that Stephen referenced the series of matches that Whiplash did leading up to his BT Gun world title match at Barrowmania and like every match went a wee bit further mm. and there was even a, was that a triple threat in Newcastle I believe Quinn like, Margera and Drew Parker yeah and when I was asking it was actually Sarah because she was at the show I asked her like what did you think of the match and she was like it was because the Jimmy Havoc one was only three weeks ago and it wrapped up and wrapped up and they maybe should have left it at Jimmy Havoc the final <laughs> boss battle she went it was good but when you compare it to the Jimmy Havoc one it wasn't as good yeah and it is as you said not getting desensitised how much further can you take it you know and properly managing expectations yeah I think what Blast said he wanted Jimmy Havoc to be last because when you're thinking of you want to compete in a series of death matches the ultimate person you want to go up against is someone like a Jimmy Havoc so I think the idea of having the, these two like Clint Mader and Drew Parker who were also kind of death match specialists in the UK like having both of them in one match I think it was their way of trying to wrap up a little bit more but I think because they also had the death match coming up at Barramania, they couldn't go too far with it, so it kind of fell flat, even though it was a great like match. Yeah, you've got to kind of like rein it in a little bit at some point, or what? And yeah, I mean, we're starting to see a kind of renaissance in the UK with certain promotions bringing it up, which we'll definitely talk about later in that. But there is, I mean, it's it's got a long, deep, bloody history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and we'll talk about where. Yeah, the death match kind of original wrestlers I think started where it kind of went over to Japan where it was a wrestler uh, Onita went went over to the US he spent time in Memphis with Terry Funk and Memphis was known as a quite a hardcore territory they'd have like the Texas death matches and stuff like that and Terry Funk in his older years kind of started becoming more of a brawler more of a hardcore wrestler which in a way influenced uh, someone like you would come in contact with uh, Mick Foley Mm-hmm. So Anita went back to Japan. I think that's when you've seen the kind of rent of a Japanese deathmatch kind of wrestling. Yeah, the three main promotions you'll find are IWA, FMW, and Big Japan. And every time you see a clip from one of these promotions, it looks like what the hell were these people it was, thinking? <laughs> it was interesting because obviously they did Japan before this kind of period you're talking about, Scott. They were still that old style mm-hmm. grappling type one that we kind of yeah. seen 
from the old days of people, or as people who don't watch wrestling and they would call it the world of sport days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so Anita, when he is that that big daddy and giant haystacks fella? <laughs> so he kind of Nagasaki. <laughs> Anita took a lot from uh, Terry Funk, uh, the man who will not retire. <laughs> and uh, he brought a lot of his styles and thought I'm going to make Japan a bit more different and as you mentioned some of the stuff you were seeing from that promotion you still see gifts of today yeah. and it's like you've set the bar well too high for these guys and then it's going to be a point that we're going to get some absolute mental type matches which we currently see yeah. even to this current day oh yeah, yeah definitely I mean Grant in, New- in Japan you still had places like New Japan and All Japan at the time and We've always talked about when you look at New Japan, they treat it like a proper sport and kind of like King of Sports is like the nickname for New Japan. So it was great that they had these other promotions to give like the completely other side of wrestling. Oh yeah, it was absolutely nuts. I mean, that yeah, FMW is kind of the first one starting in 1989. Funny enough, the year I was born, Deathmatch Wrestling becomes a big thing. And it Coincidence. Just, at Sushi Onita, again like Terry Funk, never retires. Wrestled in the Chris Brooks these days in DDT. But yeah, I mean, they, like, they had like the first ever exploding barbed wire match. Trying to figure the logistics out must have been really fun. How much of an explosion can we make without killing a man? <laughs> Let's find out. Try to test the pyrotechnics. <laughs> you just hear a loud boom in the background. Well, Charlie's deed. How, how's Jimmy doing? Oh, he's just got a mild concussion, right? See what we'll use for Jimmy? We'll use that. Big uh, Tarzan's coming out. He's, he can handle it. He's a wee bit bigger. <laughs> Japan, like a lot of people talk about how serious they take wrestling, but like we look at Japan wrestling and the influence of Terry Funk, like it's more influenced by Western wrestling mm-hmm. than a lot of people would assume. It's more so the other way around. And uh, all of my preparation here, I was looking up what are the craziest matches. You know, I've got a full-on list here. This so you much. think you've not got, so you can't get any crazy. That's an absolute mental one, section. We'll start with what by comparison to some of the other ones, might seem kind of low down. Yeah, from somebody who's new, this will think, well, how can you get any more extreme than that? The idea of not taking all of the ropes away from our traditional wrestle match and replacing all four sides with barbed wire. Well, but you've had some of the greatest matches of all time with that barbed wire. There was a match that people classed as too violent for ECW <laughs> between Sabu and Terry Funk. <laughs> you know, when a match is too violent for ECW, that's just like, whoa. I want to close it more that match, like Sabu beats Funk in it, but he's struggling to pin Funk because Funk is so wrapped up in the barbed wire. Mm. He's there for a good few minutes afterwards because they had to slowly like, cut him out of it. Yeah, I I kind of feel desensitised to barbed wire rope matches just for the simple fact that back in the Nintendo 64 days, <laughs> when you had the ECW Nintendo 64 game, you had the option to change the ropes to barbed wire. And it was it just, it seemed to me like a normal thing because I've seen it growing <laughs> up. And then you see it in these, these like lists for like top 10 crazy stipulations and all that. And it's like, and you see the actual carnage just barbed wire causing you're like my god this is not a normal thing to see <laughs> you shouldn't see a human wrapped up in the thing that's meant to keep prisoners from escaping <laughs> and I would think it'd be, I'd think it'd be weird if you're a wrestler who's new to that style of wrestling that you instinctively a lot of wrestling spots evolve going off the ropes so if you instinctively go off the ropes and then you suddenly remember well, I can't do that there's barbed wire there yeah <laughs> I know it's slightly different but you remember the I know it was obviously different circumstances. Remember that match that Drew and Jester had at ICW, mm-hmm. which was meant to have that extreme ruling to it, but then obviously Drew had signed Aye. back for WWE. <laughs> it was all the ways he was trying to avoid going through the tables and that type of stuff. It was that was kind of a similar idea. Granted, it's obviously him just trying not to get hot. Yeah, yeah. it's like he had barely any scratches on Jester's face covered in blood. Like, well, 
Who's the real winner here? <laughs> but I think how can they up the idea of barbed wire ropes? How about having tiny explosions whenever you hit off the barbed wire ropes? Something that uh, Onita and Terry Funk again competed in Grant a, a series of these type of matches and also matches where a siren would go off indicating that a bomb under the ring was about to go off. Okay, so it's like, it's like how can we make this even more heart like heart heart destroying? Yeah, let's just add explosives. No, why why not just bring a gun to it? Why not? <laughs> we'll make it a real death match. <laughs> No, I mean, people often tell me, why, why don't people bring a I know that's this. Like, many times, like, a no DQ match, like, just put a gun, like, lie down, lie the mask, come on, pin them. That gun's not really loaded. Bang, right in the foot. That'll be like the IT crowd when he shoots himself in the foot. Oh, a gun. <laughs> I wonder if it's loaded. Shit. <laughs> so, like, there's a clip of uh, the match between Onita and Terry Funk in this one where there's a, maybe a bomb under the ring. And like there's a timer, and then when I left, this big siren goes off, and you can see the entire like building. Everybody's clearing away, like get the hell back from yeah. this thing. Yeah, out. Yeah, that's the thing. When a siren goes off, you should be evacuating a building for Christ's sake. Know. You know, a wrestling match should not be incorporating aspects of the TV series 24. But you know, <laughs> here we have you know Jack Bauer on a pole match as the, <laughs> as the ring looks like it's about to explode. Well, I think what's funny is Ponia uh, goes to leave the ring and there's a clip of him right before the bomb goes over. He's trying to wake Terry Funk up. Yeah. Right before, there's a few things and he just cut dives over them. Yeah. As if it's something out of a war movie, like saving Private right before the grenade oh. goes off diving over your comrades. <laughs> saving Private Terry. <laughs> but uh, we talked to the four oh, in previous episodes about certain given matches like the Infernal match. And you think, oh, initially you look at that, that may be quite dangerous. And Japan. They did a thing, a match that involved the original Sheik, where they took these uh, things where they wrapped these things in Boy, kerosene, so old rags yeah. and kerosene, wrapped them in a ring and set them on fire, and quickly all the oxygen came out of the room because of the amount of flames off, and guys started passing out, and quickly they realised, this is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> a realisation that should have happened before you set the things on fire. Yeah, uh... Like the Inferno match, it's the surrounding of the ring is on fire to stop people escaping, you know. It's to keep the people in the ring. When you're setting the actual ring, you know, there's not many things you need for a wrestling match. A wrestling ring would be one of them. I'd say that's kind of up there, <laughs> you know. And setting the actual ropes on fire, that's just like bringing it back to the point of, yeah, we can go a bit crazy with death matches. We can set the tables on fire and boards and stuff like that. Maybe, you know, in the Inferno match where they set, like, you know, Kane's sleeved up arm on fire. Fair enough, he's clearly wearing a protective sleeve. Mm -hmm. But when you're setting the actual ring on fire so much so that the competitors can't breathe and do the match, when the actual audience can't see the match engulfed in flames, that's maybe when you go, this wasn't a good idea. It's cheaper than a lumberjack, though. Yeah, well, there's that. (laughs) Very, very much cheaper. With higher risks. (laughs) And we've got alligators and dogs in the kettle, like I think you have a match involving animals, but the animals aren't really into it. What's the exact opposite where they had a, only happened once, I believe it was in Big Japan, it was the Piranha Death Match. Oh, it's <laughs> over there, that's incredible. What a great bombing stipulation <laughs> that is, just crash. A big case of piranhas, and the thing is, they had to rile up the brass even more because when the wrestlers were bleeding, they would hold their heads over so the blood would drip into the water and rile up the piranhas. <laughs> so, yeah. this is what they were trying to do with the kennel of death. Kind of rile the dogs up yeah. instead of 
the dog's just pissing everywhere. Pepper just pissing and humping each other. <laughs> Good thing the piranhas didn't do that. No, I could be in quite a mess. <laughs> and the thing was, you're only meant to be in there for ten seconds, and that meant you won the match. The poor man who lost this was not only thrown into the tank with these bloodthirsty prize, he had a hardware board pulled over the tank while his opponent was to hold over so he couldn't get out while the prize were all matching any legs and possibly his private bits. <laughs> wow. I know. That sounds like something that even like Mikey Whiplash would be like. Yeah. yeah. No, maybe he that miss. Sounds like a funny Saturday night that. Uh-huh. <laughs> if anybody of sound mind would say, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but you're right, I've seen World that one. And there's a match that happened once in Japan, I can't remember what they referred to Japan, but they used it once in ECW and it was referred to as the Taipei Death Match. Mm-hmm. It was a match between Ian and Axel Rotten where Imperials take tape up their hands and then stick the tape in glue and they take their glue to tape their hands into a bucket of broken glass and basically punch each other in the face with this uh, and see how cut up they can get. So you were talking about the sticky bandits earlier. I mean that just sounds so like that a mean sti- you two have been actually yes, yes, each other yes, brothers. That sounds like a sticky bandit match. <laughs> that, which, which out loud sounds a bit worse than you know I tell you I Oh you sticky bandits. <laughs> the the rated eighteen version of Formula One. Yes. <laughs> the most terrifying one I seen when I was reading was the nail hell match. I don't know if you've got that in your Yeah hey, I don't mind me explaining that. It's kinda like you've got boards in the ring. Some boards have got like nails hanged on the ropes, and on the opposite side of the boards, there's like barbed wire. Oh. So it's like they can, one, they can get you one side and they can get you another one, and it's like, oh, it's like any match with nails. It's kind of just like a, there was that kind of video that went on viral recently. But the, was it the knife? Was it the big, the massive machete knives? Uh, the GCW knife spot where the guy ended up with fifty stitches. And that, oh. even even I'm 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 a known lover for death matches, but even I was like, ah, no thanks, pal. I know. I mean, there's another one as well that I reckon if you had it on your list, uh, the Scorpion Death Match. No, but that's, <laughs> that was grim because instead it's like the Piranha one, but instead of barbed wire boards, there are two cacti, which sounds bad enough as it is. But then instead of piranhas, there's a tank full of scorpions. I don't know if you have ever been stung by a scorpion, but I can tell Thankfully you, you squeal like a wee banshee. I've not been stung by a scorpion. It's not on my to-do list, to be honest with you. No, my own one sinister slips. No, no, I'm quite alright. Thanks for that, though. See the amount of deathmatch type matches that involve a light tube. I know. Yeah, it's it's sort of the it's the like the kendo stick in a hardcore match because it makes such a noise. The kendo stick, mm-hmm. the light tube, you know, always creates a great visual because it smashes and then it's just a big cloud of dust. It's like I, I can also vouch a kendo stick shot is not fun to take. I've taken two How to the back. How do you spend your Saturday night strip? <laughs> Jesus, the Scorpion <laughs> That was a Thursday night in Liverpool after DOA. It's like the 2 out of 3 falls match, but instead of falls, it's light tube log cabins. <laughs> the only way to win is to break two light tube log cabins over or on your opponent. Like, all of these matches that I've read, they seem to be, how many yeah, different man. ways can we incorporate barbed wire and light tubes in a way that people haven't seen before? And I think one of the things that really appealed to people back in the day who would follow Japanese wrestling is there was only one way you could really see this and it was through the era of tape trading mm-hmm. I think because you couldn't see them otherwise unless you knew something you tape I think that it was a thing before yeah and I think obviously the likes of CZW and obviously before that ECW I think what made that so popular in North America was the fact that as you said you could only see it through like a tape trading you know it seemed like this whole other world and you know it seemed like you know 
this you know foreign thing where it's like it's only in Japan so when it comes to North America automatically the band is there you're like right you know I'm staying you know in New York this is in Philly mm-hmm. it's a hell of a lot closer to get to than Tokyo we are driving to Philly I was in Wisconsin mm-hmm. we are driving to Wisconsin to see that you uh-huh. know because you know but it's easier to get to and it creates a demand because back in the day it did seem this sort of foreign like, thing that you yeah. wouldn't see you know in WWF yeah and one of the more like uh, talked about tapes at the time was uh, IWA did a show called uh, Kawasaki Dream it was this uh, big supercar which featured their King of the Deathmatch tournament which featured likes of uh, former Freebird uh, Tiger Jeet Singh the father of WWF legend Tiger Ali Singh <laughs> Mick Foley and uh, Mick Foley and uh, Terry Funk said Mick Foley and Cat they the same person <laughs> and no, they were both in the Royal Rumble no, no, say, not if you watched the 1999 Royal Rumble and also a wrestler just called Leatherface who basically just stole the Leatherface gimmick from Texas Chainsaw which happened a lot apparently in Japan back in the day they just he had a, bl- <laughs> he had a good record I'm sure in the, the CZW tournament <laughs> he's got a few wins in it right? <laughs> I wasn't big boss man's last match in Japan they just fought Freddy Krueger I'm pretty sure that was a thing it was like his second last match before Freddy Krueger and some of these weird stipulations I've seen there were, and the finals which was between Mick Foley and Terry Funk was the longest title I've ever read I need to take a big breath say get this out a barbed wire rope, exploding barbed wire board, exploding ring, time bomb match. I thought you were going to talk about the barbed wire brick match that they yeah. had. So essentially, essentially what we can all agree here is that the barbed wire is the potato of the deathmatch world. Yeah, yeah. It's very versatile. <laughs> I mean, we, we complain a lot about WWE having stipulation pay-per-views. Can you imagine if that was a thing, you know, we've got the likes of, you know, welcome to alligator deathmatch. I can't see that taking off or, you know, welcome to Noro Electrified Barbed Wire Swimming Pool Dynamite Double Hell Death Match <laughs> not, doesn't roll off the tongue like, like TLC does it nah, you get really the right. guy from Family Guy the Wacky Willie you play a lot for like to ECW we've mentioned ECW quite a bit and I think the good thing that ECW did too was it had as well as all these hardcore matches it did it kind of fought against some of the stereotypes of oh it's all blood and guts where and you'd be a lot of like talented technical wrestlers like at one point they had like the Benoit Guerrero and Malenko all working for them yeah, Masato Tanaka and Mike Awesome are two great examples of guys who mm-hmm. had uh, like those deathmatch style matches in ECW but could probably they could go you know mm-hmm. so there was a lot of guys in there who did have it was a mix of the kind of styles but yeah. it kind of helped please the, maybe the audience who maybe fell away from WWE and, and WCW while also bringing in all these guys that just wanted to see something get absolutely battered <laughs> <laughs> uh, Masato Tanaka like, you see some of the chair shots to the head like unprotected obviously that he would take back to him and awesome and knowing what we know now about concussion that it's just hard to watch and the fact that Masato Tanaka is not only still wrestling today but he's the top champion in DDT right now like how are you even walking now after all those chair shots to the head absolute miracle the guy can even still walk with some of the stuff they done back in the day I mean, it just gets a wee bit worrying <laughs> I know that he can remember his own name was a miracle after all those chair shots <laughs> and I think another thing that appealed to me, like you said, like the idea of Japan being kind of this foreign thing that was so different. The thing about ECW is this is all happening in these kind of hardcore matches, like the barbed wire ropes and all that. This is happening like when ECW starts taking off in like 95, 96. And Gary talked about the wrestlers, uh, sorry, the new generation era that is also happening at the same. So in WF, you've got wrestler who's also a dentist, wrestler who's also a bin man. Whereas if you watch this, you like, also at the same time, guys are going through these barbed wire ropes and getting set on fire. Like two different worlds. 
and then WWE brought some of them in, like like a Terry Funk, and made him a guy who wore st- like stockings over his face and kind of changed something. Uh-huh. Wait, when you say a wrestler that was a dentist, I'm pretty sure that seems familiar these days, but I can't think who. Nah, they don't really mention it in that nah, nah, very much. Never gets mentioned, nah. nah. <laughs> I wonder if she'd ever consider changing her gimmick to maybe a baker. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like, as you mentioned, obviously, we at ECW, it's you know a whole different thing. We mentioned how the demand was there because the Japanese deathmatch seems seemed like you know a million miles away, mm-hmm. and at the same time when the nineties are rolling in and it's you know the shock and awe, like style era and car crash TV and Jerry Springer sort of thing, when wrestlers are you know both given the chance to do this what seems foreign wrestling style and at the same time the storylines there of good wrestling with wrestlers who aren't a dentist, a baker, a butcher, a candlestick maker, you know, they are just I'm a wrestler, this is what I do for a living and storylines are playing out between real people it just ECW doesn't get enough credit for the the stuff it did towards WWE and WCW, you know, making them change their product, it really is kind of remembered because WWE tells the story of, oh well it was all those hardcore things wasn't it, No, no it's not it's so much more yeah, it was it was great though for the fans of it because it was a different alternative. There was also mm-hmm. the idea that it wasn't a mainstream thing, ECW, because they didn't get a TV deal until about '99, and that didn't last all that long. So it was the idea of being different, and I think part of the reason some of the guys involved, like Sabu, like son, the the nephew, I believe, of the original Sheik, so yeah. born into deathmatch wrestling, and like the Sandman, that some of these guys who were specialists in saber wrestling. There were some who weren't able to adapt when they had more restrictions on them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why ECW gets the restrictions, gets the negativity that it does by some people, and that some guys couldn't evolve outside of it. But then for them, you've got the Dudleys mm-hmm. who did very well, where it didn't always have to be weapons-based matches. Rob Van Dam's a great example yeah. from ECW yeah. who evolved into probably the best wrestler in the world in 2002, officially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And something is what like it's like deathmatch wrestling is not something everyone can do. There are people like. You, you know, you mentioned Drew being in WWE. He didn't want to get hurt. You know, he just re-signed with him. He didn't want to jeopardise that for his match with Jester. You know, not everyone can do deathmatch wrestling, and it is looked down upon at times. Like as, oh god, well, it's just you know these out of shape trash bag wrestlers that wear you know cargo shorts or jeans to the ring, and you're and just like, well, much shows. Yeah, and you're just like, well, <laughs> no, actually, you're, you're more likely to find those people in the hardcore wrestling thing whereas deathmatch wrestling is about building up to that one big spot that you won't see in a hardcore match and you need to do actual wrestling to get to that point mm-hmm. yeah definitely um, like you said it doesn't get the credit it deserves sometimes yeah. the actual storytelling of it. but unfortunately all good things kind of come to an end and ECW eventually folded in 2001 was bought by WRE and like you said now they're able to tell the story because they own all the intellectual property of it but in the aftermath, after WCW and ECW closed, there were all this fight and people trying to establish the alternatives to WWE. And you had the ones that started time were Ring of Honor and TNA, which took the idea of a pure wrestling-based show mm. away from the mainstream WWE. Whereas there are guys who are like, oh, people miss the idea of the extreme and the deathmatch of ECW yeah. and the hardcore stuff. So there are people trying to fill that void. You had some like smaller promotions that didn't really last more than a year trying to go full of hardcore bringing in a lot of imports who were former ECW guys but the one that's really stood the test of time and is the most talked about deathmatch motion today 
I think is obviously CZW. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the big yeah. thing about it, even as the tournament of death, is kind of a who's who of deathmatch wrestling. <laughs> see, if you look at some of the names of that tournament of death, they don't really stand out as household names, but see if you were to like, watch them religiously all the time these are like your idols these are like <laughs> the independent versions of like these the guys you say Tommy Dreamer Sabu mm-hmm. you know Sandman you know who would have who knows of Madada unless you have watched <laughs> he is the, he is Mr. CZW in terms of that tournament of death the things he's done but it's the way they've kind of brought the names out I mean you look at a guy now the main champion of a major now promotion and John Moxley yeah. who got his first big start in the CZW tournament of death type stuff yeah I mean I, sorry, I was watching one of the the Viceland documentaries on Deathmatch Wrestling, and it's so weird to see someone who his gimmick is basically how much better he is than you, and MGF, and yet this documentary you just see him sort of. There's one of him up in the rafters, he's fighting somebody, and they both fall to the floor through a table. There's one where it's just him floating about backstage planning his match, and it is you know we mentioned how sometimes it's looked down upon. Some people can't do deathmatch wrestling. Certain deathmatch wrestlers absolutely can't do good wrestling, and that's why they maybe stick to hardcore matches. But there are the people like John Moxley and like MGF mm-hmm. who can jump in between. And obviously, you mentioned filling that void ECW left. There was a really dark period for the wrestling world in 2002 when Ring of Honor and TNA hadn't found the rhythm yet, yeah. and you had so many promotions popping up with either signed everyone that WWE didn't sign after the Monday Night Wars ended or signing all the ECW guys and it was just WCW knockoff, ECW knockoff and that happened for at least two years and it was just, it was brutal so the likes of CZW, although it might be looked down upon it should be thanked for maybe killing off some of these like Joker promotions for the simple fact that it does tell storylines Throughout its deathmatch wrestling. Yeah, and then all those ECW castles all got absorbed by TNA towards the end of the 2000s. Ironic <laughs> that a lot of those ECW rejects then get brought back to WWE in 2006. Look <laughs> uh, at some of the Torment Deathmatch uh, Death winners. Uh, you've got the Necro Butcher who appeared in uh, the film The Wrestler. He looks rough. And yeah, he's about, I think he's about 30 or 40 odd. He won't die. Ah, he's only about 40 <laughs> Jesus. You <laughs> just won't die. Nothing rough paper around Jesus. You've got Jimmy Havoc, Ricky Shane Page, who's seen in ICW, Nick Gage, and Drake Younger, who's now a referee in WWE. <laughs> the, the, the tan referee yeah. in NXT. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's unreal. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, I was just like how much tan he got. And then you see pictures of him where he's in CW against the ringes, put three cheeky on. You know what I mean? I think you've earned to, the right to put on as much fake tan as you want. I think that's why you wear so much fake tan to kind of hide the scars from, from these death matches. I mean, you say the, re- the best good referee shouldn't be noticeable. I mean, it's hard to not notice a man who's almost orange. No. <laughs> but I talked about ECW doing the thing where they had the death match style, but also great wrestlers, and CCW does that so well as well, because they also have their tournament, the best of the best tournament, where it's basically the best independent wrestlers just all around great wrestlers mm-hmm. and you talk look at these the names of it you got Mike Quackenbush who you interviewed mm-hmm. uh, Adam Cole uh, won the tournament one year and Mike Bailey Jonathan Gresham David Starr like you think of great independent wrestlers like and where given where some of these guys are today mm-hmm. like it's yeah. very much like I said a who's who yeah, uh, obviously Adam Cole, current NXT champion, David Starr, you know, 
Mr. Indies at the minute, you know, even unless it's that have been in tournament of death. I mean, you've got the likes of Eddie Kingston has mm-hmm. been in tournament of death, and he is on an absolute thunderous roll right now between NWA and the Indies over here, and even. Uh, Drew Parker, who's over in Big Japan, yeah, started in progress. Sam, Sammy Callahan was in a tournament of death as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And we've kind of seen him recently in ICW, and obviously he was the Impact Champion at, at the turn of the year. So. Yeah, so he's done great things. And what I thought was interesting, I was looking up some of the tournament matches from the years these guys were wrestling, and uh, there was a period where the first round matches in the best of the best would be triple threats. And Adam Cole's uh, tri- first triple threat, he beat Johnny Gargano and Kyle O'Reilly. Which is quite funny now when you look at his NXT career. Precursor, so Triple H watches on repeat. But Deathmatch uh, Wrestling isn't just something that happens in CZW and, and places like America, it's happening over here. Mm-hmm. Like there are promotions specialised that have got uh, TNT in Liverpool and we've got ICW up here in Scotland. And I think this is where we've all seen Deathmatches thanks to ICW, thanks to like, Mikey Whiplash and Jim Havoc. Mm. coming in and I think ICW Grant is quite good that ICW is basically like ECW in that there aren't really any rules so you can get away with a lot in certain matches so when they have to specify this is a Glasgow Fever they have to specify this is a death match more often than not it's because it's in the middle of a great feud that warrants that little bit extra Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, ICW, that's where, well, I started going ICW in 2012 and 13. Even some of the matches back then were quite extreme, but definitely the most extreme ones were the whole Whippy series leading to him and BT, where Whippy looked like he pretty much almost died in the ring. Yeah. When Stevie Boy came out and cashed in, and Whippy just looks like, no, for the love of God, man, just stay out, stay out, you're going to die. I mean, you talk about reinvention, Mike Whiplash was as a great technical wrestler. We talked about the storyline about having to go back to to with after deathmatch wrestling for so long, but he came in the ICW and thought regular wrestler Michael Whiplash is not going to cut it here, mm-hmm. and he started going in the season where he debuted against Jack Jester, where they were probably doing his hardcore match. Like Jack Jester is like it's formed himself into a hardcore specialist, especially in the early days of ICW, which is he doesn't do as much now. He's more the fan favorite with the Kinky Party. But back in the day, he was the hardcore guy in ICW. One of the most uh, cult kind of deathmatch style matches ICW have done from like a non-fan point of view is the match they had between Jester, Jimmy Havoc, and the former Crazy Mary Dobson, now known yeah. as Sarah Logan. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what she's doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that match, it went, it's gone, it's a viral match. You know, I think everybody oh, has well. seen that particular match for oh. one particular spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's the way the staples, the staples to the... See, <laughs> see the thing about it you'll see people will talk about the Sarah Logan character now and they're like oh, what's she got to offer and yet every time I just go go to YouTube and watch this match yeah. <laughs> this is the match that will make you remember she actually gets thrown off the balcony it's crazy it's crazy enough to speak in the like, like even TNT this year introduced two female competitors for the DOA tournament they had Session Moth Martina mm-hmm. and they also had Charlie Evans Charlie Evans took on RSP, Rick Shane Page, and Session Moth got Jimmy Lloyd. So that's two GCW deathmatch legends. No thing they're talking about an all-female deathmatch tournament next year. Uh, you talked to Mr. Scott about Mikey Whiplash as well, how when he came to ICW, mm-hmm. he kind of did the hardcore stuff we get him noticed a wee bit more. But you notice in the ye- over the last year, we've not seen Mikey Whiplash in ICW on a regular thing. Obviously, he does his stuff with Source with the family shows, but yeah. out with that, he's down in TNT and he's reinvented himself to that audience because mm-hmm. Mikey Whiplash would probably say this himself that he's not really had the same recognition in the English audience over the last few years as he's had up here yeah. so he's now went down there he's got this cult following with TNT and 
you look at the pop on the TNT recent show what he got announced for the CZW Tournament of Death just shows how much a great job he's done reinventing himself he's just an all round entertainer he knows he knows how to get you talking he knows how to put on a match that will get you invested he's just he's just really good at what he does just a great entertainer great wrestler yeah you talk about like he doesn't have the football in England he does here I think Scotland's kind of become his second home ever since he he started with ICW and took over uh, with Sword, I believe it was him and Jimmy Havoc got to the finals of the, the last newly uh, tournament in death in, in TNT and TNT have even introduced their own extreme division championship so uh, it's really become like, it's a, the kind of death match promotion almost in England mm-hmm. Russia, yeah it's obviously he's been announced for the tournament of death we talk about how he's not had the recognition that he should have had in England it's you know maybe it's just the Scottish chip on my shoulder that you know, we sometimes, oh, well, oh, he's British when it suits, you know, that sort of Andy <laughs> Murray mentality. But um, it seemed to be because Jimmy Havoc was in England and, you know, uses Scotland, you know, to come to ICW and what have you, that he's received more recognition in the States. And, it, you know, because he's based in Scotland and sometimes goes to England with the likes of Target and TNT, yeah. Whiplash maybe doesn't get that. Yeah. maybe view that as big fish in a small pond and the fact that at the end of their death match in 2018 Jimmy Havoc turned round former winner of the tournament of death and says the fact that you're not in tournament of death yeah. is you know an absolute slap in the face and then turned round and says fuck DJ Hyde you know <laughs> just calls him out for not booking him it just goes to show that you know he might have reinvented himself to that English audience but it's been known to his peers both sides of the border for quite some time yeah, and so from what we've seen in that uh, Deathmatch Invitational and what you see in TNT, it's one of those things like you agree, like why isn't he in Tournament Death? And now here he is going to be. Like from what we've seen him do, you think what else is he going to be able to do? This whole new audience that probably haven't seen Michael Lewis before. One thing I've liked actually about TNT is kind of ex- as Grant mentioned the two women that were coming. Uh, it's kind of helped expose like kind of your non kind of traditional Deathmatch people has actually been Deathmatch specialists. I mean, mm-hmm. Spike Dravet. I've not seen him as a deathmatch wrestler. Spike Trevay had a great one that wasn't technically a deathmatch but almost turned into one back in progress at a show at the Dome. Him and Drew Parker, there's an awful spot with a broken mirror and ended up in a hospital visit. But there's another promotion that a lot of people forget about because they're not really a deathmatch promotion but they've put on a big deathmatch match for certain situations. Fight Club Pro, deathhouse matches. So the best example, the hour long one that happened just last year. Team Fight Club Pro against Schadenfreude. It had deathmatch Timothy Thatcher. If you want a proper wrestler, everyone's coming out with their t-shirts and jeans. Thatcher. No, I'll be alright, just my trunks. Let's do this. <laughs> Scary. That's all right. Thatcher is intimidating at the best of times. I mean, people get slagged for coming deathmatch with all they come in the shirt and the jeans. Like, really, it's smart when you're going to be turning a barbed wire. You want to have some layers on and protect you. Yes. <laughs> really, the same person as Timothy Thatcher for not coming out with that. Best one, I know it's not traditionally deathmatch, but I loved it at the end of uh, WCW where Norman Smiley was in the hardcore division and he came out with the full shoulder pad like American football killer. That one. That's just, so just, just screeching in terror when he was Terry Funk was chasing them down. And that's and it's that type of planning and strategy that he's now teaching at the performance centre. That's why he's got that joke. That's why Roman Reigns wears the bulletproof vest. He was clearly trained by Norman Smiley. <laughs> Screaming Norman Smiley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hardcore legend Norman Smiley. And I think 
like, I think we ICW had in the early days when I started getting noticed, that same thing that ECW had in that was the idea of the underground kind of promotion that was doing this hardcore stuff. And also I had that kind of underground feeling that it was running places like uh, uh, the Classic Grand and then the Garage and that was before an actual nightclub. So and it was an over 18s promotion. I think in the UK, I don't think we were, there were many avenues in the UK where you could watch ECW. So was that kind of thing that you were kind of, we were kind of deprived of for a long time, unless you were able to get a tape of CZW, but now it's like on our doorstep, this type of wrestling? Yeah, like obviously I mentioned the whole, like, Americans feeling like they had to go to ECW because there was that Japanese style, and then because we like, sort of second hand through it, our experience of it was through clips of the old ECW. So you know, you know, you have people that we know coming from Paisley and Edinburgh. You come for Falkirk to see yeah. ICW shows. You know what I mean? Stenny, let's also, get this right. Stenhouse Muir do apologise. You know, <laughs> how dare you? You're getting put through a table. Flaming <laughs> you know, table. <laughs> you know, because it is in Glasgow and it is, you know, just a drive away. People are like, yeah, I'll travel for that. And again, that that helped made ICW the sort of word of mouth promotion. And obviously, it's given people like Havoc. Whiplash, you know, you mentioned wrestlers, you wouldn't think were deathmatch wrestlers, Aspen Faith, <laughs> a platform to, you know, put themselves out there. Yeah, and we've talked about it before, and that certain Americans have referred to ICW as ECW with an accent. That <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting these deathmatch wrestlers who want to come over. Now we've had Jim Havoc on multiple occasions, Ricky Shane Page and Sammy Callahan recently. The blood tourist looking sharp, let's not forget him. <laughs> well, that's what we talked about, guys, making mm-hmm. a, a name for himself in the deathmatch style. Can we say that counties like Queens of Insanity? Yes. Oh, yes. Of course. Tag team counties of Insanity. Or, like, we talked about different, like, crazy matches in Japan. Why have we not talked about the uh, the Kings of Insanity matches that we've talked about? Well, they've actually brought fucking like, cinder blocks and you know, the spot with the, the table with the cans of Monster. <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. That match featured everyone's favourite table manufacturer, Crowbar. Yes. <laughs> Talk about deathmatch specialists. That's a specialisation that no one else can match. <laughs> I, I only just for the first time watched I see on demand the uh, Ricky Shane Page Krager match, but the table would not break. <laughs> I am table. <laughs> but uh, we're gonna. That's gonna be the first half. We're gonna be back, and then second half we're gonna. The panel's gonna pick in their picks for death. They're in deathmatch icons. Well, so we look at things where promotions like WWE and AEW have kind of implemented small aspects of deathmatch wrestling into them. Uh, but for now, we're talking about a man who we've talked about a lot in this first half. This is Mikey Whiplash announcing the Deathmatch Invitational in ICW back in 2018. We'll see you after the break. My name is Mikey Whiplash, and you are listening to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. 2018, I promised ICW that there will be blood. I'm going to make the roads flow. I'm setting out an open invitation to anybody who thinks they're sick enough and disturbed enough to fight me in a deathmatch. The Mikey Whiplash Deathmatch Invitation. If anybody can beat me between now and Baromania, we'll make it a three-way a four-way or a five-way. Now you can get that title shot that everybody is so desperate to have. So, somebody, anybody, come at me. Because I am the Legion and we are many. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome back to Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat. I'm your host, Colin McLeod, and I'm joined by Ross, Stephen, Grant, and Kwaku. And the subject today is Deathmatch Wrestling. You just heard Michael Wilkes is quite evident in the Hardcore Championship because uh, the WWE Hardcore title and think- it, it was, as we see with the 24 7 title now, you know, with the likes of. The likes of Drake Maverick and the likes of the Sing Brothers, people who aren't good enough to eat for the Intercontinental and the World titles against the Giants of WWE. Mm-hmm. And then obviously we mentioned before Norman Smiley, <laughs> um, sort of the comedy <laughs> character who runs like a madman and, <laughs> you know, he, he'll do anything to hold on to this title. It is, it's treated like a comedy prop, but to these smaller guys, you know, this title is their life, you know, it's so they can say, they are a champion. Yeah, and Stephen, I think also quite a few people got kind of uh, pigeonholed into this hardcore division for like, some of the ECW guys that came over. Like Raven got put into that division, and I think it was a kind of a case of this is how you get Vince saw some of these guys. Like he brought in guys like RVD, guys like them. It's a similar way we talk about like, some of the guys in the CZW guys. Like you get like a Ricky Shane Page comes over and you just think, oh, he's going to come and put somebody through tax through tax onto tax <laughs> he's got to put somebody onto tax you know type idea so it's kind of like it's the same, the same way that you get like some guy like I'm trying to think of an example see if like a Chad Gable mm-hmm. was to get released from a WWE mm-hmm. and for somehow came over here you would think Chad Gable was going to come over here and do a Chad Gable match a technical style match so it's kind of yeah. the same way of that but just because uh, it's not pure wrestling the pigeonholing is a lot different in terms yeah. of this type of hardcore stuff the limit on how violent they could get they kind of it seemed like they were making an exception when they had the ECW One Night Stand events, and I think it gave some hope to these fans who kind of fell away from the product after the closure of ECW. I think it's squashed up a sand, man. Oh my. <laughs> awesome. And then they had some uh, Macho Libre, where a guy dresses Natural Libre from the Jack Black film and talks like Randy Savage. It was a great example of, <laughs> it was a great example of Vince McMahon getting his hands on something popular and not having a clue what to do with it. Yeah, and... We're talking, about, <laughs> we're talking about Shane McMahon, how kind of unbearable he got when he came back for after oil, but he was actually one of the main proponents of trying to do to get behind this like, ECW brand and that he wanted to be online so they could get away with more, capture more of the ECW. Because he's field. the best in the world. Could you imagine if, uh, we, if the bomb in the network had come out like 10 years earlier, you know, yeah, yeah. and if you stuck ECW on the network, that could have went absolutely oh, I, that could have went absolutely mental because you don't have the same restrictions as you have on national television. I think that was what Vince was concerned about. He had all these relationships with the network because if he put out this product mm-hmm. that he went with the same hardcore and just didn't and sponsors networkers because a lot of things people forget about WWE is they are a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. They have so many shareholders who don't really have as much of a vested interest in the in wrestling itself. So by going with this type of risky product, you would probably maybe annoy the shareholders and that would obviously affect the stock value. I mean, another a recent example as well, I'm sure Tony Khan's came out and said he's not a big proprietor of deathmatch wrestling, yeah. but maybe not seeing as much of these kind of lights out matches as much in AEW ever since his apartment took a lot more of a stranglehold on the creative side. Yeah, and like, I think we ECW, a lot of people talk about how it had the format that NXT kind of perfected in that we had these like young up-and-coming guys who weren't ready for Ron Smackdown at the time. So if you had the net, had like the CM Punk in that coming up, mm. and you had the hardcore like sell, you had a bit more freedom. That could have been like ECW could have been what NXT is now to a certain extent. Yeah, but obviously what NXT has now, you know, the likes of Sami Zayn, 
was on NXT full time from 2012 to 2015. Mm-hmm. The likes of you know Johnny Gargano has been there since 2015, and with this whole network, you know, era, this whole you know the NXT takeovers aren't just an extra to WrestleMania weekend. They are anytime someone showed like a bit of charisma, a bit of interest, instantly was taken away. You know, you saw the how they were gutted during the the 2007 draft. They'd got. Chris Benoit was a draft pick who they thought, right, he'll be a you know a great technical wrestler for that brand, and then obviously all his personal stuff happened, and they got the boogeyman because, <laughs> because they wanted these outrageous Ken's Kevin Thorne, Aye. hence why Gangrel was brought back but then released because he couldn't get in the TV shape, you know. So obviously we talked about ECW was this underground, thing, and I talked at the start these corporations can't do deathmatch wrestling because. The shareholders, the TV stuff, you know, and that WWE ECW is a perfect example of when a corporation tries to do indie underground sort of thing. Part of part of it as well with ECW was the ECW arena was a big integral mm. part of what made the charm. It's yeah. one of those sort of special venues. Then yeah. yeah. WWE ran it and they read the uh, big show Batista's the main event. <laughs> yeah, because I remember the first couple of when they stand they had the Hammerstein Ballroom, which was a big venue in ECW, mm-hmm. so that helped the feel of it. And then they were just taking it to everybody before Smackdown where the fans were like I'm just here to see Smackdown I don't care no, about I like ECW. Batista and Undertaker I don't <laughs> care about you know Axel Rotten and Sandman <laughs> and when you see ECW Balls Mahoney you nearly get into Kelly Kelly in that, on, that, on an angle at one point Balls Deep <laughs> <laughs> But we'll talk about AEW because you mentioned the Tony Khan and the light that lights out was kind of a term used back in the day for the unsanctioned matches and that. And I think the fact that Cody is a third, the second generation wrestler has like old school influences bringing these ideas and that's why we're getting the uh, war games or blood and cuts mm-hmm. to avoid a legal battle. I think, I think the thing with the, the lights out that kind of I think they brought it in too soon. It feels like something like an unsanctioned match should be a kind of feud ender yeah. type idea. So the fact that they were like, what was it, the second show that they had the lights out match? Yeah. With Janela and Moxley? Janela and yeah, Moxley. that was pretty fast in. And yes. it, I mean, I, I loved it for what it was, but yeah, can I agree that yeah, as, a one, as a one-off match, it's fine on its own. And but the fact that the whole kind of spell of AEW, it was far too early to have such a thing like that. And then they put it on Dark as well, which is the online show, which we talked about, you know, ECW being online was you know Shane McMahon's vision he wanted it to be a sort of indie style thing mm-hmm. but you know you've just made this big deal about how you're launching a TV show how you're going to give you know you're going to give people the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega for the first time ever on weekly TV <laughs> you know not Generation Me Young Bucks <laughs> before anybody says TNA to me and <laughs> then you're putting a, a lights out match with no storyline onto Dark which yeah. is your secondary show I think their use of lights out matches has been a bit poor. Yeah, because between June and November they had three of these. And I think that's why the Tony can to, to pull back on it a bit for now. I think that's kind of a sign of things like that is the recent rumours that came out based on an interview he did that Joey Janela is doing a lot more indie dates and he's cutting back on his AEW right. dates, which maybe gives the idea that maybe Joey Janela just was not the fit for this AEW product. He was a guy who came in with a lot of buzz to start with. He could have done these death matches if they wanted to do them, but the fact that we've saw since 2020 the kind of swings completely turned on AEW's fortunes in terms of their weekly product, Joey Janela's style of wrestling just does not fit to that. But he's on these indie dates around about WrestleMania season, he's gold. Yeah, and <coughs> something that's quite weird about the, the third place of match along between Omega and Moxley is that 
in this era where we've got CGW, and I think a lot of those hardcore wrestling fans who would watch AEW probably would have seen that style of wrestling, there were complaints by a lot of people that they went too far in that late suit match. I mean, granted it went on a bit long, but I don't think the violence-wise there was anything you wouldn't have seen in a regular CZW show. Mm, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the, the spot with the whole bar- white barbed wire spider web, we've yeah. seen much worse in CCW's Tournament of Death and stuff like that. And to me, that match was actually it was, it was one of my favourite AEW matches since it began. It wasn't a Kenny Omega match to yeah. me. No. To me, like you talked about the online fans who would watch this. Online wrestling fans try to try to look cool online, you know, they don't call out certain promotions and it's like, lol, WWE sucks when WWE's the only thing they watch. <laughs> it's just, it's that sort of era we're in. So these people that go, yeah, I love a death match, I love this, I haven't actually seen a death match. <laughs> so when they saw this, they were like, oh, that's too far. And then Grant, as you mentioned, it's nothing right. you haven't Do- seen in CZW. Tournament of Death, and GCW as well, being a big proponent for death match wrestling these days as yeah. well. And obviously, Stephen said it wasn't an Omega match. It's not what you were expecting. Yeah, I think that's, that was the point of it, though, that it wasn't an Omega match and that Mega was going a bit off the deep end. That's why he had the match with Moxley. Started with uh, Joey Janela on Dark and then this match with Moxley. I think, so for a storyline perspective, I think it was actually pretty good because the worst thing you can have is one of these type of matches with little storylines for no reason, like is it with Theo or Janela, just they threw it on Dark. But. Uh, now we're going to get into the section where I'm going to go around each of the panel and they're going to give me their pick for a particular deathmatch icon and Ross, I'll start with you, who is your pick? Yeah, so I'm going to do the cop out here but I'm going to go with Mick Foley just uh-huh. for the simple fact that I've mentioned how you know, the Japan thing was what gave ECW a buzz the ECW thing was what gave you likes of ICW and uh, deathmatches in the UK a sort of buzz <coughs> excuse me but Mick Foley, you know, in the Attitude Era, it might not have been, you know, deathmatch stuff he was doing, but he was certainly doing more than your average, you know, Rock, Stone Cold, Kane were doing. You know, he was getting thrown off cells. He was getting put through cells. He was, you know, thumbtacks, broken glass and all that stuff. And what I, said, what I tend to find when people stay with wrestling, like as they get older, they tend to look seen before and Mick Foley is a perfect gateway into that sort of deathmatch stuff because he done the ECW stuff he done you know WCW as Cactus Jack you know he was in the what was it, the execution match where it's like they killed they killed <laughs> the electrified yeah they, they killed Abdullah the Butcher you know <laughs> he's done the tournaments of death in, uh, Japan. in Japan and you know so many people deathmatch wrestlers have listed Mick Foley as an influence it all starts with the fact that WWE tends to be maybe not in 20 years but you know for just about every generation of wrestling fan WWE is the wrestling that people are first exposed to mm-hmm. Mick Foley is someone if you're watching the Attitude Era be it Dude Love Cactus Jack Mick Foley Commissioner or Mankind is someone you were exposed to and he basically just opens a gateway to just so many be it you know when WCW were trying to be a bit more risky in the early 90s or be it the insane stuff in, in the likes of uh, Japan and then obviously from that gate see who he's influenced you then end up going to CZW you end up going to the likes of Jimmy Havoc and Mikey, Mikey Whiplash who are deathmatch wrestlers as well and it just although he would say his influence is Terry Funk and although Terry Funk is possibly who they would all put the deathmatch thing down to Mick Foley is more of the mainstream guy mm-hmm. 
and I think that's why he is my pick. Yeah, he mentioned Mick Foley would be kind of shocking because mm. he has an only his first autobiography at the back isn't a description of the book it's just a picture of him with all, and the pictures of all the different like uh, injuries that he's had all year like he'd lost the ear the like, concussions broken bones he went through and McFoley was always a different type of wrestler he was more of a brawl like he made, made him stand out as Cactus Jack in WCW and he got tarnished with the same brush that a lot of deathmatch wrestlers get tarnished with that like uh, Ric Flair in his autobiography said that McFoley is nothing more than a glorified stuntman he'd become WD's of a deathmatch wrestler to get to that point where a lot of people think if you just do this match because this is all you're good for you're not going to get to the pinnacle of wrestling yeah and obviously the fact that he's been able to give guys like The Undertaker guys like The Rock guys like Stone Cold a bit of an edge to them in the corporate world of WWE mm-hmm. and then you know you know, inspire basically a genre in North America off just what he was doing it, it's it's hard not to repeat yourself over and over with what Mick Foley means yeah. to this genre of wrestling. Gateway to it for me to mainstream fans, and you know the fact that he's you know been through multiple surgeries to start to feel normal again mm-hmm. in his fifties just shows how much he's put into wrestling. Uh, Stephen, who's your pick? Uh, I'm probably going to go a bit obvious on this one, but I'm going to go for the homicidal, suicidal one <laughs> himself. Yes, I'm going for Sabu, a guy who we spoke about earlier on the show was born into deathmatch wrestling obviously yeah. he was the nep- nephew of the Sheik yeah yeah, I can remember the nephew, nephew son the nephew <laughs> uh, and just the stuff he did I mean he was a guy who innovated the table spots in the ways you know he would pretty much throw them bumming throw himself into them <laughs> do anything he could with a table throw himself into guardrails crazy man he was an abs- he's an absolute nutter of a man he's a, he's a guy like Ross kind of spoke about Mick Foley being a guy who helped kind of def- defy the different wrestling in terms of WWE but look at Sabu Sabu was just a guy who was an absolute nut who would go to extreme lengths to entertain crowds by making them put himself through pain I mentioned earlier on about the match he had with Terry Funk in ECW the barbed wire rope match the match that Paul Heyman dubbed as being too much for ECW that ECW never ran a match like that again now ECW bombing some of the matches they put on over that spell of time they were there to have one particular match that was so extreme just because of what Sabu actually did in it is absolutely unbelievable the injuries he's picked up in his career as oh, well yeah. I think he's broke his neck twice or something like that he's broke yeah. his back uh, but one of my favourite memories of actually a non-WWE show was TNA did the show Turning Point oh, one in 2005 about. where he opened the show against Abyss in a barbed wire rope match it was it. if you look at one particular point in TNA that helped put over Abyss mm-hmm. as an absolute monster that was the moment to me that kind of solidified him as this is our monster because he's just went out there and had this absolute gory match with Sabu an absolute <laughs> nutcase that yeah. he is you know it's just like he's maybe not the finest technical wrestler you'll ever see he's not a guy who's going to go out there and have a five star match even though I quite liked his match with Rey Mysterio <laughs> at the second one night stand that was the only good thing he did in his WWE CW run you didn't like his match with John Cena at Vengeance? oh no not at all <laughs> I don't think I liked much John Cena at that particular point in time but if you look at personifying deathmatch wrestlers it's not about being a good wrestler at, the, at times it's actually personifying the genre if you look at technical wrestlers at the type of stuff we'll look at a lot of the guys that are wrestling in New Japan the likes of you know Okada or Osprey and that type of stuff but in terms of a guy who just personifies going out there, putting your body on the line, and literally using anything you can to hurt your opponent and yourself, 
Sabu personifies it. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he, I think he's still even going today, still taking bookings. He's booked at TNT. Yeah, and he's, he's been in ICW in the last couple of years. Like, you see the amount of scars over the years he's, now he wears, he's got, he wears them as kind of a badge of honour of the stuff he's done for Deathmatch Wrestling. You mentioned that match with uh, Abyss. I don't think Abyss gets enough credit for the amount of hardcore stuff he's done. Really. Like, it seems for a while in TNA, every time they have a new weird gimmick match, let's get Abyss in. Let's not talk about that one he had with Sting. No, let's not talk about that. <laughs> like, he was in, you know, these little same matches, like the, the match with 10,000 tacks or whatever it was. See, see, if you look at that Turning Point show, you had a match later on the night, I believe it was Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles. Mm-hmm. I think you had uh, Christian Kate. Christian was challenging for the title at that particular point. No, so I think it would be a couple months later. It was that a couple of months later? There was a match on the main event. I can't remember exactly. Was the one I remember there was the Joe AJ Styles match, which was on second to last. And the fact that, to me, the thing that's remembered most about that pay per view is that absolute match they had a match a couple of months before as well which was not as that was on the same show as that amazing triple threat for the X Division yeah. Championship which was easily forgotten about but this one's a standout he is the if you look at ECW guys who are actual pure ECW mm-hmm. you've got Sabu Sandman Tommy Dreamer in terms of guys who are absolute hardcore yeah when you talk about ECW he's one of the guys you can't not talk about uh, Grant I'm very interested to see who your <laughs> pick is so I'm um, like most of my tastes going east for mine I'm going with the crazy monkey Jun Kasai right. he embodies Japanese deathmatch wrestling absolute crazy man he's probably got probably the only person I've seen that could rival Sabu for the amount of scars his body looks like it's made of leather now it's got that <laughs> many he's been through so many injuries if you've watched the wrestlers Deathmatch episode. Is that that's who that was? The cr- yeah. Crazy Monkey, right? Cra- uh, yeah, I watched this. I, did, I, did, I thought his ring name was just Crazy Monkey. Yeah. And he took the horrific spot where he literally, the guy comes over the top of a ladder, does a flip, and pretty much curb stomps him onto a board, board of razor blades. Mm. Oh, is that him? Face first. Oh, man, that's nasty. And it was absolutely horrific. And he's been through so much, and he's about 42, 43 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just I've Google like well, YouTube a lot of matches. I don't even know what half the stuff being said is because it's not even got subtitles for English. I just watch it and it's it's like a personification of like it's like a horror movie made real. It's like extreme cinema. It's it is not for everyone. It's it's definitely for the not for the faint of heart. But <laughs> he personifies the style down right down to his look with the contact lens to give him the crazy eye and things like that. He's a man that I look at him and I'm like he scares me a little bit. I wouldn't fight him. <laughs> the amount of scars that you said that guy's got is almost sickening. Like the cuts in his head from these razor boards. And there's a clip in that wrestle documentary where you see his wife prepared one of these razor board things for him to use in a match. And like knowing that you're getting your head cut into these uh, razor blades with a board that your wife helped put together is just the weirdest thing. Even what he said when they asked him, it's like, how do you feel about you inspiring all these deathmatch wrestlers? And he, instead of being I'm honoured and things like that, he goes, that's another enemy. No one will beat Jun Kasai. They will all die. It's like, whoa, what the, whoa, man. And one of the weird things <laughs> he said about getting into deathmatch wrestling is he said he used to watch wrestling with his father. His father would always say, oh, that move wouldn't hurt, that wouldn't do anything. So he wanted a stale wrestling that his dad couldn't make those comments about, like, hey, my dad's like wrestling before, but I'm not putting myself through seasons of glass. That's a bit of trauma there. That, that's a... That's a daddy doesn't love me sort of thing, isn't it? I think you were talking about his no, wife. No, I didn't. <laughs> I think you were saying about his wife making the thing for him. I don't know why, but that kind of reminds me of when um, 
before the Undertaker Yoko's doing a casket match and the Undertaker was making the casket and he kind of finished it at Christmas time just went Merry Christmas Yokozuna <laughs> <laughs> put the reef on it right, Stephen you need to worry like you come home you know it's Laura's preparing like planks of wood and there's like bits of glass or something like that you get worried Stephen what are you, what are you doing Laura I'm sharpening the knives whoa goes <laughs> <laughs> to show how mental uh, Kasai is and that he's done multiple spots with those razor boards and yet Michael Whitlash said that he pitched the idea of the same spot with Jimmy Havoc, a former Torment uh, Death winner, when he came over to interview, and that was the one thing Jimmy Havoc had to say no to. <laughs> Just to show there is nothing that he will not do. Yeah, and that is something that Jimmy Havoc will say no to. Yeah, <laughs> it's good when certain deathmatch wrestlers can find their limits, you know. No, being knifed. I know. Uh, that, that tends to be my limits on a lot of things, to be honest with you. Jimmy You're ha- living Jimmy, in Glasgow. Jimmy Havoc, who was doing a year later, did a promo covered in blood and gone, I'm sorry if I pass out during this. <laughs> That was a brutal thing to witness live. <laughs> uh, my pick for Deathmatch Wrestler uh, icon is, like, yeah, I think an obvious one we've talked about him before, but I think you can't not mention him, and I'm going to say Terry Funk, mm-hmm. because, for all the things, because he helped influence people who would then go on and innovate in Japan, and so his influence is felt over there, and he would compete in those style of matches, and then it's the fact that he is a second generation wrestler, he was a former NWA champion, he's competed in five star matches against like the Ric Flair and yeah in his late like late 30s like 40s I think it was he's like to completely change his style he's like completely change his style and become this crazy brawler eh? this whole thing where like with Jerry Lawler or something like this what were I mean in kayfabe he took his eye out with like a spike or something like that so for years he went around with an eye patch on and like the fact that he was still going around even in his late 50s when he should have probably retired long before he was competing in ECW and uh, there's a great clip in Beyond the Mat before the, the ECW's first ever pay-per-view by Illegal where he wins the title and wrestles twice in the one night pretty much all like the cartilage is gone from one of his knees and needs a new knee and he says to the doctor will I be if I don't get it will I be in considerable pain and the guy goes you should be in considerable pain now like how are you wrestling with <laughs> no cartilage you need a knee replacement and you're still wrestling He's a, he is an absolute crazy man I think Anybody who retired as much as he did and continuously come back and come back and come back to put over Norman Smiley on WCW television. <laughs> Norman Smiley's going to be my viscera. <laughs> going forward. Team no, Norman coming soon to that, season five. That was, that was one of my first actual exposures of Terry Funk when he had that one. He, were just, he was just, you just looked at him going, he does not look like a wrestler. And he wanted, <laughs> if you're not. If the reason I said don't make him an icon, he should, he should be an icon for this one reason and that he had a match and Thunder, I think it was, with Chris Candido at his ranch and they fought over to the horse where the horses were being kept and the horse gets spooked because Terry Funk pile drives Candido next to the horse and the horse kicks Terry Funk in the arm and he goes, fuck you horse! <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the comedy go, I've heard of a mule kick before, but <laughs> yeah. there's um, there's a lot to be said for risking your life on Thunder when Kevin Ash and the likes of Alec Hogan wouldn't, you know, even show up for a match because they weren't contracted to do so. But um, a lot of the stuff Terry Funk started doing, like and reinventing himself, mm-hmm. was a case of like he has been in five star matches, he has been NWA champion. You know, he's the son of Dory Funk and. It's sort of stepping out at, at that shadow mm-hmm. because his dad is still, you know, highly regarded as one of the legends of wrestling. It's stepping out of that shadow and just 
making your own legacy and making it something so violent and so over the top that no one will be able to avoid it, you know. We talked about how WWE and AEW to an extent is sort of tame when it comes to this wrestling. The fact that these promotions have this style of wrestling is just a testament to the fact that Terry Funk sort of brought this style of wrestling to the mainstream. Yeah, definitely. And like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We talk about great deathmatch wrestlers. I mean, we, we have you mentioned Jimmy Havoc, John Moxley, I think, could be considered a more like iconic deathmatch wrestling than that he did the season of stuff and went on to become WWE champion, left, and is still doing that style of match. And you got like, in the UK, Jack Chester and Mikey Whiplash, the stuff they've done, I think, could also be considered icons. Yeah, definitely. I'd say yeah. definitely. You could chuck in some guys are coming into now. Um, Paul Robinson's a great deathmatch wrestler. Yeah, not Drew Parker. Somebody Drew Parker's a great one. You know, there's so many guys who are capable of it. And yeah, you could probably be here all day listening to some of the ones you talk about historical guys as well. Like a guy Vamp- Vampiro did a lot of great deathmatch stuff as well at one point mm. in time. Yeah. Just so many, such a big genre. Uh, we've got Ricky Shane Page as well. Who we've seen in an ICW. Sammy Kellan to some extent. He still has like a barbed wire bat. While he's in one of the major promotions when he won the Impact Championship and mm-hmm. he's like carried that promotion for a while mm-hmm. as one of the top guys. You've got Nick Gage as well, who mm-hmm. is going against Paul Robinson for progress in Tampa. Jesus. That is going to be an absolute bloodbath. Nick Gage, who <laughs> nearly killed David Arquette last year. <laughs> that was hilarious. Can we put David Arquette in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> for having the goal to, like, like he's was married to. Uh, Courtney Cox he's done all these movies he's got money and obviously people slag him for killing WCW he didn't have to come back to wrestling but the fact he chose to and one of the first matches he said like I'm going to fight this deathmatch wrestler he said a, t- he said a tweet out the other day I think somebody was slagging him for something about something to do with money and he goes I've got friends money bitch <laughs> <laughs> I know and the financial hit Razor Rumble he's still living off that to this day mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think is there anybody else we could mention that we haven't mentioned already. You could talk about Japan guys a lot. Yeah. I could be here all day. <laughs> I could just keep Japan. going through a whole list of Japan guys, and even even in, in the UK as well. Uh, underrated Spike Trevay. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge proponent for him. Plus, the heat that he would bring for a death match up here. I think Mikey Whiplash gave him a lot of praise after that TNT DOA uh, tournament, he did. which is high praise given Mikey Whiplash was the previous champion at that point. So it just shows what they can kind of do and meet, say, you wouldn't class him... There's a lot of guys... The thing about deathmatch wrestling, it's not just all these guys who are typical of it. You'll sometimes get a guy like... We talked about Kenny Omega, who can get chucked in there. I think it was um, one of your favourites, Scott and... As well, as Swerve Scott, yeah. Shane Strickland, who came out and said he did a couple of them and he just... It's because... Cage of death. Yeah. Of all things. Cage of death. People did not expect him to do it, so when he kind of starts... When they kind of start doing that type of stuff in deathmatches, it's surprising. Stevie Boy, mm-hmm. obviously the king of insanity was not a deathmatch wrestler when and did that deathmatch with the likes of uh, with Havoc Whiplash and even Renfrew who was a bit of a deathmatch wrestler at that point in time and he was the kind of standout yeah and we talked about how the development of women's wrestling is the fact that women are getting to compete in these deathmatch mm-hmm. still we had uh, I think my favourite match of Fear and Lone 11 was the Queen of Insanity match between Viper and Kaylee that harrowing spot at the end where uh, Kaylee's doing the crossface with the barbed wire around Viper's mouth at the end Scream. I know like it's quite unsettling the fact that like the women are getting to the point where they can do hardcore style matches and we talk about doing it all women trying to do it I think that would be really innovative because it's again something we haven't seen yet in wrestling it's another step forward in women's wrestling can I throw a WWE guy in there someone who can be used who's a great wrestler but can do a very good like death style match 
Randy Orton, go back to 2004, his match with Mick Foley at Backlash. He is, he, that, that's when people thought Randy Orton arrived. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, this was the start of the whole internet message world yeah. things. A lot of people weren't sold on Randy Orton. You know, Batista had the look and, you know, was teaming with Ric Flair. Randy Orton had been given the Intercontinental title. They thought he was just, you know, Triple H's lackey. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a Vince guy. And then he goes out there. And this is a month after he beats Mick Foley and The Rock in the same night. <laughs> he goes out there. He gets the barbed wire bat. Aye. He gets the thumbtacks. I believe they did not set the bat on fire. Yeah. They were like, waving it at him. And, you know, he, he gets a few graces for that. You know, he's someone who, when it comes time to do that style <laughs> of match, he's not afraid to throw himself right in there and the same can be said for the likes of you know Edge mm-hmm. Edge yeah. with Mick Foley the WrestleMania mm-hmm. but great, great match for that one especially that one spot alone with the fire yeah. the table that's another reason why it was good to mention Mick Foley because he's also used a stale match to make stars and like I always, I always remember the face on Randy Orton when he goes for the RPO and get on the attacks gets shoved off and lands back first in the attacks and the look of like sheer pain on his Horror. face he Aye. sells it like really well and not about Shane Strickland, I remember he was his match, his cage of death was capturing that Vice documentary, The Wrestlers, the episode on Deathmatch Wrestling. And he was asked, like, why are you doing this? You're one of the top touted uh, indie wrestlers in the world. Like, why are you doing this? He went, because no one expects me to. And if anything, it made him look more like a well-rounded wrestler. He was willing to do this. Mm-hmm. And there was another uh, Deathmatch wrestler, Matt Tremont, was on it saying like, the idea of Deathmatch Wrestling is, he said, yeah, there are guys who go out there and just hit each other with zero psychology. But there's a difference between them and good deathmatch wrestlers. There are guys who can tell a story and have great psychology all the while doing these kind of spots. Yeah, like good deathmatch wrestling and bad deathmatch wrestling can just basically be it's a case of if it's good and it tells a story, the guy continues to make traction and continues to, you know, get bookings and what have you. If it's not good deathmatch wrestling, the guy is, you know, rightly slated and they go back to doing backyard wrestling and much, you know yeah. crappy small promotions you know what I mean aye yeah that's, and we talked about guys like McFoley and Ambrose who did that and then went on to WWE that's the difference between guys who can do good deathmatch wrestling and mm-hmm. this kind of takes us into our last week point and it's that is there a place for deathmatch wrestling and I think uh, we'd probably say there is because we talked quite fairly about it and I think the good thing about it is that you need different styles of wrestling. Mm. Even in deathmatch potions, they don't do all the same thing. Yeah, I think, I think the thing with it is you've kind of the big issue with deathmatch wrestling companies we're in an age of very a very PC culture. Mm. You know the same things I'm going to get. So there's a lot more spin in terms of like health and safety and that type of stuff. I mean a lot of the stuff that ICW that no ICW ECW did in the early days. I don't think you would maybe get away with as much in the current the current climate. So I think as long is we've seen in the past we've been a death we've watched death matches where they've done some stuff and you're like well that's quite risky in terms of like the things with the glass very much quite a good glass in his hair that particular night when the glass went oh flying oh my god so <laughs> I feel as long as they have some sort of respect for the fans in terms of that and don't cause a lot of harm to them they're still death match wrestling in the ring style has definitely got its place yeah I think it's still very much an underground thing and I think they said in uh, one of the Vice documentaries about CZW is that the reason they held it in Delaware, which wouldn't scream a, a, a city for wrestling, like, is, like, I think of Delaware, I think of the bit in Wainsworth, that, hi, I'm in Delaware. <laughs> but they said that it's because that's one of the few states that still permits deathmatch wrestling. It was a big thing holding back UFC for getting big for a while, and that certain states wouldn't permit MMA. Mm-hmm. So I think that is part of the reason why I 
Deathmatch Wrestling hasn't become all that much like a mainstream thing mm-hmm. over the years, even though it remains popular to this day. To me, yeah. it's like every other style of wrestling. It does have its place, but obviously it's a case of, you know, comedy wrestling, Santino in the Royal Rumble and Santino in the Elimination Chamber coming all so close and getting your hopes up has a place. The old day and Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows going about wrestling doctors does not have a place in wrestling. And as we mentioned before, good deathmatch wrestling sees guys like Dean Ambrose come up the card and become champions in WWE and AEW. Bad deathmatch wrestling sees these guys going back to doing backyard wrestling. So, like everything, it has its place, I think. But it was, it was actually an interview with Mark Dallas who said he loves a deathmatch, he loves a hardcore match, he loves, you know, all these stipulation matches. If he goes to a show and it's just all death matches, he goes by the fourth match, you're bold. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the break and you're just kind of like, do I want to come back after an intermission to watch yeah. another four death matches? Because you've, you've been desensitised to it. And to me, it's something that should keep things varied, Should something, something that should be used to end a feud, and it should also only be used if it's good death match wrestling, to me personally. I don't know who Dean Ambrose is. That that name is dead to me. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, to me, to me, de- deathmatch wrestling hundred percent has a place. Dallas's point about getting tired of watching four deathmatch rows and our four deathmatch rows. That's where I love tournament of death because, or even the DOA tournament was a great way of doing it because to keep it fresh, you start your stipulations light. You keep it to a, sim- a single stipulation like here's a thumbtack match, here's a light tube match. Next round, introduce something extra, yeah. and then your final match. That's where you just throw the entire tool cupboard, garden shed, whatever you Gun found on under a the pole ki- match. <laughs> whatever you found on whatever you found under the kitchen sink and that everything just goes into one and that's where a deathmatch like full deathmatch show can be exhausting. Yeah. It needs to have the right stories and I feel that corporate wrestling sometimes they actually do the right thing by building your deathmatch as your last match in the feud. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just don't, don't shoot your load too early, you know, take, take your time with it. Yeah, at the end, of the, day, story. At the end of the day, it's a genre and it'll depend what you want, what type of wrestling you like, it depends on your mood of that day. Like sometimes you want to see a good comedy match, sometimes you want to see a death match, sometimes you want to see like a technical Zach Sabre Jr. style match. It's like your, your taste in movies, it'll depend what which genre is your favourite, depending on what you're in the mood for at the time, like if you're in the mood to watch a comedy mm-hmm. or to watch an action film, so in that way it does have its place. And I think even though I said it's still very underground, I think it's in the right place right now for things like Caesar because it's not too mainstream, but it's also in a place where it's seen by enough people that people mm. are able to compete there and go on to major companies. It's, it's a cult, it's a cult following type idea. That's yeah. what you kind of want. That's what ECW did so well. It shows you how it's doing well enough because the fact that you've got TNT later this year have GCW over, so it's three shows back to back. Night one's TNT, night two is GCW, the night three is TNT V's GCW. Which is almost like a deathmatch super show to an extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's because there's always room for new things in wrestling. The worst thing you have in wrestling is seeing the same thing and not having new stuff because mm-hmm. it's, it's always where you can see a new matchup announced or a new match stipulation announced because sometimes it's hard to get promotions doing variations on stuff you've already seen because it seems at the moment most of the best commit matches have kind of already been thought of. Yeah, like people kind of get sick through you a, a money in the bank. Like mm. we've we've not really had a long holding briefcase guy since uh, Seth Rollins. You know the other guys have either cashed in on the night 
or cashed in the next month or cashed in and lost mm-hmm. and things start to get stale you know although I really enjoyed the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view something that hit me about how this match that I still feel is in its infancy it's only been around since 2002 I, I believe it was at the first match uh, Elimination Chamber match tonight said for only the 25th time and you're like right, 25 times in 18 years it's actually quite a lot you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it, and you start to feel even though that tag match was good even though I enjoyed Shayna's dominance in the Elimination Chamber match it does feel like we have seen the Elimination Chamber and there's even one stipulation I forgot to mention earlier that's came back to mind because I've seen it happen in America but not over here and I pray for it Lego death match oh I've heard oh, of this oh that's dead wrong that's sick <laughs> there was one match on, there was one match on my list I think it was uh, was it not thumbtack balloons Thumbtack balloons, that sounds horrific. Like something Joker would barefoot, fill out. Barefoot thumbtack match. Oh, jeez. Oh, we've seen plenty of that. In fact, that happened with Karen Noir there a month at Progress. Chris Brooks put the bare feet on the thumbtacks. Sorry, I misheard you there and I thought you said Karen Dunbar. <laughs> <laughs> Karen Dunbar, well Karen known. Dunbar's in a death <laughs> match. Well known death match specialist. Well, that's quite enough of that, something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, brought out that flaming table, my heart was like that. <laughs> But the thing with the Lego is something I didn't get to talk about when we talked about Jimmy Havoc and that he's known for those paper cuts. Oh. And I think a lot of people who have had Lego or if they have a kid who has Lego, some, most people have stepped on Lego and know how unfortunate that is. I'd rather step in a landmine than step in a Lego again. <laughs> that, 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 the Lego. Well, no, seriously, um, there is a point because like, I've spoken to Jamal Valley in the past. Like, obviously, I had opportunities through Jam. Um, and he's had a fair few death matches himself and he actually said to me he prefers thumbtacks to Lego <laughs> and the reason is is because thumbtacks they go straight in and that's your Lego they don't go straight in they streak down and they cut you in so many different places so that's why he prefers thumbtacks to Lego Lego ch- children's toy <laughs> the issue is where I think you get a bigger reaction for pulling out a bag most people will think thumbtack I've seen bigger reactions for when Lego gets pulled out and people because people know what that feels like I've also seen clips from PWG where they get in the bag and they go oh, it's just pull out gummy bears people still chant you sick Grado did it with Skittles one time as well <laughs> <laughs> any convention we'll do as long as it's not Lego anything but Lego <laughs> oh no 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 I mean could you imagine like a share with lemon I mean those <laughs> things are brutal or bonbons bonbons they break your back have oh, we seen that when well, for me hazelnuts <laughs> I'm just saying I'm just thinking just Havoc in the paper cuts but then adding the salt and it's between the toes oh yes yeah that yeah. Was like, and then the lime in the end there is something to be said like what Scott says like people know what it's like to step in a Lego in a paper cut that's why like when you get these big like oh 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 like these big <laughs> ways when people go through you know flaming tables or glass panes because no you don't that's not an everyday thing whereas like if you work in an office you're in danger every day of getting a paper cut. If you have a child of a certain age you're in danger every day of stepping on a Lego and it's it's it is an everyday pain that we have all experienced. Oh, yeah. Definitely. As much as it, it would be painful to also like step on a, a thumbtack, it's very rare to have like be in a position where you you have a thumbtack lying around to be stepped on. Mm-hmm. It, as much as you know it would be painful, so again, it's more likely to have stepped on a Lego, so you believe in that. And like I said, survivor there, we use stuff like that, there's still room for innovation in the world of death matches. And 
basically like GCW, not just deathmatches, but just like they have like weird style of matches just in general. And like whenever Mania Weekend comes around, they've got these weird off-brand shows like Orange Cassidy is doing something somewhere. Where they had a one on spring break. They had a one-minute time limit match between the best friends. <laughs> or Josh Barnett's uh, doing Bloodsport, which is associated with that, where it's basically wrestling mixed with shoot style wrestling. Which, so, like I said, there's always room for something new. But uh, um, we're going to wrap it up there. I want to thank my panel so far, and uh, I want to thank I want everybody to go around and plug what they've got on Suplex Week 3 Extra because we've got a boatload of extra content there. Yes, uh, I have Raw Report with Jack Graham, and I have. The retro review that's coming back at the end of the month. We have a big block of recordings coming up, so there's going to be a lot from the summer and fall of 2000. We're seeing the rise of Kurt Angle at the minute and the sort of end of the McMahon Helms the faction, thank God. <laughs> uh, so, looking forward to covering that. Yeah, and yours, Stephen? Yes, I have got uh, Power Trip with yourself, Scott, looking at NWA, and I've also got Indie Sausage Roll with Grant here. Best name. <laughs> and this where we. Our last show that we covered was the uh, 16 Karat Gold Tournament, which t- took place this past weekend there and went down very well for lots of different reasons. We are planning on doing one for Scrapamania, virus dependent. <laughs> <laughs> so potentially keep an eye out for that, or maybe not. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you don't get that, I mean, CZW's next tournament of death is the end of May, you know, so there's a potential episode there. There we go. They'll, they'll, they'll not cancel that. Green <laughs> Tag Team Invitational in April for us as well. Yeah, so if we don't do Scrap of Mania, we'll do one of them. Aye. Maybe both. Um, and I've also got East Meets West with you, Scott. We're on a bit of a, a coronavirus-related hiatus as well. I know. It's like, really, really scrapping all of our plans right now. Yeah. COVID-19, no, I keep your hands clean. Yeah, Coming soon to Suplex We Tweet Extra, the effect of the coronavirus on wrestling. Yeah, I mean, we, don't, we have no idea what we're going to do for our next episode because the whole New Japan Cup went out the window and shows were cancelled. So we don't know what we're going to do there. Uh, like I said, I'm on Power Trip with Stephen and East Meets with Grant, and also one of the greatest shows ESR's ever done, Saturday Draft Live with myself and David Campbell, recapping ESR's Fantasy Draft. And frankly, I don't think it has any shows, so we'll wrap up there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. That can't be awesome. <laughs> Grant has got all the good graps. We said a, a monthly recap of everything going on in Scottish wrestling. Well, you'll hear a bit like of Mikey Whiplash and Jack Dessar and many others. <laughs> well, he's winning a half a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you dead boy. Deathmatch after this. And if you want to hear any of those shows, you can subscribe to us on all good Android podcasts and sites, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes. We can hear our Super and our main feed where you can hear shows like this. You can hear our back catalogue of interviews. See, we've got a new interview just coming. Thunder Rosa or the NWA Women's Champion Rosa 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 Brooklyn 99 reference 99 practically confused and you can keep up to date with everything going on and if the coronavirus affects any more of our shows on our social media on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Suplex Retreat tune in next week where we have the best Wrestlemania main events Hosted by first time host Jack Graham. We'll be interested to see the poultry pumper sitting in the hosting <laughs> chair. Poultry pumper! That <laughs> <laughs> name is sticking. <laughs> but until next time, thank you, Graham. Thank you, Ross. Pictures. Stephen. Thank you. Graham. Thank you, Shin. Kraku, as always. Go love yourself. <laughs> and it's got clouds, and we'll see you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet now proudly presents. Suplex! 
Retweet Extra! Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.